Hey ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I run Exposure Ninja, which is a UK digital marketing agency, and I'm host of the show. And this show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales from your website. In this episode, I'm joined by Johnny Matthew from Salias. Now, Salias is a Menorcan sandal company, and Johnny and his partner, SJ, have taken this from basically a, a very, very small company. They were selling a few thousand pairs a year through, you know, fairs and stuff. And now they're stocked in places like Urban Outfitters, Topshop, Office, House of Fraser, Shoe. They're going over to the US as well, being stocked in a whole bunch of places there. So he's come onto the podcast to talk about how he's taken their brand from being so small and getting them in all of these awesome places. And the really interesting thing is that their own digital marketing and their own uh, kind of brand building has helped get them traction in these places. When someone like Urban Outfitters starts stocking them and gives them a bit of a test drive, they've been using their own digital marketing to make sure that that test drive is successful to get bigger orders from Urban Outfitters and then get moving into some other retailers as well. So they've done a fantastic job building the brand and they've come onto the show to talk about all of this, including things like how they build out their influencer strategy, um, Google AdWords and doing some SEO as well. So if you're running any sort of e-commerce business, this is going to be a very interesting episode for you. Don't forget also, if you want some help with your digital marketing, if you're getting a little bit stuck, you need some more traffic, you need some more sales, you've got big growth goals in 2018, you're not sure how you're going to get there, then I'd encourage you to check out the free website and digital marketing review over on ExposureNinja.com. You can request a free review from one of our marketing strategists. They will take a look at your website, your competitors, and they'll plan you out a digital marketing strategy to help you get to your New Year's goals. So go over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and check it out. Anyway, without further ado, here's Johnny Mack. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Tim. For those who haven't come across you or Salias before, perhaps you could give us a bit of a background into you personally and how you came to found or co-found Salias. Sure, absolutely. So myself and my wife um, kind of thought of the idea around 10 years ago. We're both jobs at the time. We both loved this very traditional Spanish sandal from the island of Menorca, which had a big following the island and you know it was worn you know throughout summer by nearly every single local in in, uh, in Menorca and Mallorca and Ibiza yet it just struck us that it never really gone outside of the islands it was such a fantastic shoe such a fantastic fit and comfort but there hadn't been any brand built around the shoe unlike Javianias and Toms Birkenstock where well, there had been so at that point we set about building a brand to take this design to the world so we you know met with various factories and pulled together our first collection, which was about six years ago now. Awesome. And just to give us a sense of where you guys are at now, you've sold quite a few pairs of these, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So we've sold um, over 100, 120,000 pairs in the last four years. Our core market's still the UK, and the majority of that really has been in the UK. Uh, but we now, over the last couple of years, have built a relationship of agents and distributors who represent the brand worldwide in countries like Italy, Canada, Australia, Nordics, uh, and France. And we have ourselves um, grown quite significantly in the UK through some very strong relationships with high street retailers like Office, Shoe, Topshop, etc. And we've now started a branch out in the US, which really when we started was the dream, but we were always quite conservative around trying to 
go run before we could walk with the US. So, you know, we've really been focused for the last few years on making sure we had a strong UK presence before we went anywhere else. Awesome. So we're going to dig into that growth today. Um, I want to start by asking you, I mean, obviously, you've done something that very few original or independent fashion brands have ever done, but but almost all of them want to, and that is get stocked widely in those high street retailers. So I think you started out in Urban Outfitters, didn't you? And now you're in all sorts of places. With the amount of competition that there is out there, and obviously with this being the goal for everyone who's ever made any shoes, this can't have been an easy thing to do. No, it, it wasn't. And there were lots and lots of times that we had to you know, ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing? Because you know, this, we certainly get knocked back a lot of times by lots of retailers. But the, the thing that we held true throughout was that we knew we had a great product. We knew the construction was fantastic. And we knew that we couldn't really be rivaled without, you know, without someone copying the, uh, the style and significantly reducing the quality. Therefore, really, the shoe wouldn't work. So we knew that that bit of it held true. And therefore, we just had to build a strong brand around it. We were quite old fashioned in the way that we started. And we were, you know, going to small fairs and shows and not not wholesale based that's you know retail based and we advertised in magazines in a very traditional print format this was five years ago now six years ago but really what we'd thought from the start was that we wanted to attract the eye of a buyer rather than a uh, you know particularly a individual customer so we did want to build a, a following um, and we did do that we did invest uh, initially in uh, you know in social media but we were always careful to spend too much money on it because i think where we'd always thought from the start, and I think I probably still do think this, that unless we were going to spend a significant amount on digital marketing, to get our name from zero to recognizing the high street, we had to leverage the retailers and their store network to get ourselves out there. So, you know, we, you know, did, you know, intentionally push ourselves in front of those stores and the way we, you know, marketed was intentionally to them as well. What was the tipping point for you? So presumably you're at a stage where you're going out to these fairs and selling directly to consumers and I would guess small volumes. And then you're in Urban Outfitters and Topshop. Like how did that all happen? And even Urban Outfitters was a small volume. So we were, you know, we were selling ourselves a few thousand pairs a year and just direct on our website. And that was just through some online digital marketing on a very traditional format Facebook advertising really was the, was the sole driver at that point. And some, you know, advertising in things like Cosmopolitan and Grazia, both online and print, still very small numbers. And even when we got the order from Urban Outfitters, it was very small. You know, compared to what they certainly what they could do, it was only in, in a few of their stores. But what we'd always been focused on was making sure that whatever we did worked well. So when we did get the order from them, you know, we sat and worked with them. And I was probably a pain in the backside to them, but I, I knew that we had to make it work. And so we sat and rather than us pushing some styles we already had, we sat down and designed colors exclusively for them. I sort of said, like, you know, you guys know what will work. I want this to sell out. Let's work on it together. We designed five colors just for them. And they did this sold out in about three or four weeks. So it was, only a, it was only a small volume. What the tipping point for the business was that we then received the call from office who said, um, you know, we've heard, uh, thankfully, it was a, 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 there's always some level of luck in there somewhere. The, one of the, the buyers had moved over, the junior buyer had moved over to office and, and they heard about us that way and how well it sold. And then they said, you know, could you, would you want to come into office? You, know, you need to be able to move quickly. This was in season in summer. And you need to be able to do a, a big volume. Can you do it? And I just at that point, I'm not sure we could, but I just got on a plane and, and uh, pushed the fact as hard as I could and, and made it work. And that was, so that was a tipping point for the brand that we went into office. And from then we had a platform to market from. I think for us, marketing from something no one knows was difficult. As soon as we had a platform to market from, well, we could do that. And we realistically spend quite a lot of money advertising on behalf of our retailers to make sure that stock sells well. 
rather than just selling for our own products from our own website. So it sounds like you were quite proactive as soon as you got that that sign of life from Urban Outfitters, which I think came from the buyer actually. She bought some of your shoes. That's right. Yeah, she just saw it in an advert we had in Cosmopolitan. She bought them as a customer. Um, I happened to be fulfilling the orders at that time, happened to it was going to Urban Outfitters and just made sure that I put a note in there and, uh, you know, Burke and Catalan explained that, you know, I didn't know she was the buyer. I just knew that it, it was someone who was in a retailer and just made sure that I took the, the advantage of, of them making that order. They got them, they liked them and they, 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 they came back to us and said, yeah, they're great. You know, love the comfort, love the fit, let's do something. Awesome. And then when, when you got that opportunity, then you didn't just sit back and think, sweet, we've made it. Like <laughs> These guys are just going to sell our product for us. You, you worked really, really hard with them, didn't you? And you mentioned that the color schemes and, and also the marketing of the shoes when they were being sold by these brands. So, so what did you do around that? So quite often we would, um, so, you know, we went into store, they said, you know, at that point you're an unknown brand, you know, we need you to, we'll help you with the, make sure you've got the, you know, the best chance on colorways and, you know, work out good designs together. You need to help us push the brand. You know, you've got a good following in London. Uh, we'll put it into our top London stores and, and you help drive the sales. So you know, at that point, I think when we had the buying meeting, the buyer said to me, you know, I was, I was kind of a bit on She said, you really want this, don't you? And I said, I, my wife's actually in labor, which she was at the time. <laughs> and I said, yeah, this, this is it. You know, you don't get many chances like this. I'll make this work. And because I think at that point there was still, you know, or an unknown brand, how's this going to work? It wasn't really core for Urban Outfitters. You know, trainers and this this was a granny sandal i mean mm. you know we you know we our whole business was to bring a touristic old-fashioned sandal into the fashion market so you know hadn't been done yet they just had to take a punt us really so i just you know convinced them that we would we would be and we'd be spending money and, and we did so we spent money advertising to our you know at that point we'd built up quite a decent following on facebook and, and instagram and so forth and we'd always at that point pushed the urban outfitters products so we would spend money pushing our customers to their stores to make sure the stock worked. And from there, you know, it's, they could see that there was, you know, there was a following and, and you know, I then, I did the same way we went into office and other retailers as well, just to make sure that, you know, the, the, the people most like to buy the shoes or our followers. So rather than trying to office just blanket marketing to everyone, why not take advantage of, of all of our customers rather than trying to be greedy and kind of keep them for our own business, which is great. And, it, and you know, own retailers, a lovely, great margin business. But for us, we've always been very, very focused on on making the wholesaler success first. So it's interesting that even though I guess at that stage, maybe your audience wasn't massive compared to the Urban Outfitters or the Office audience, you leveraged that audience. And with your close relationship you have with that audience, you actually used them to kind of get a bit of traction with these, with these places. How did you build that audience to begin with? So that was, that was kind of, quite cold, old fashioned, spending money on Facebook and Instagram advertising with, you know, obviously targeting keywords around people we knew already liked the style, people we knew were going on holiday in that area, people who like very, you know, quite similar brands. Birkenstock, for, for example, is quite a similar brand to, to Celis. So, you know, we built our following that way and then through through friends of friends and friends of friends. So we didn't spend a huge amount of money over the years. We spent, you know, a, a, certainly a fair amount for the size of business we were. But when I look at some of the metrics I see going around in the market, you know, saying you should spend X amount of your revenue on on marketing, it was certainly was nothing like that. And I guess now it's come full circle because when you type in Celius into Google now, it's you know these all these companies they're paying to advertise you. So rather than you having to pay to advertise them, <laughs> the, 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 whilst that strategy kind of did work in, in getting us in there and 
you know, for next year, the brand launches in ASOS in the UK and Nordstrom in the US, which is great. Two retailers that we, you know, dreamed of, of being able to be in. And we're now, you know, for next year, we'll be stocked in both of them as well. So it's great. But the, the challenge now with the business is, and, and it's the case of any, anyone that's built a brand in those stockists, is how to get y- your own website to the top. Mm. And that really just relies on us having surety of product. That, that, that's, for us, that isn't about digital marketing. That's about having surety of product and, and depth of product. So, you know, whilst other stockists might run out or, you know, making sure that we always have those styles, there is certainly a, an element of, well, there is a big element of, of digital marketing because, you know, whilst someone that shops in Office or ASOS is probably always going to buy our shoes from there the, for the first pair, hopefully the second pair, they might come to us. And so that's where we want to make sure that, you know, we're taking every advantage we can to follow those people around you know, where we know they've been to, we know they shop on ASOS or Office to try and follow them around and ensure that we secure the second pair for a direct sale. But also opening up to, to you know, to people that haven't seen the brand before. So all of our, you know, we're live on a crowdfunding process at the moment, which is really, well, is solely to secure money to invest in our digital market strategy for the US, where the brand isn't as well known and go through a, you know, a similar process. In the, on the, in the west coast of the US. It's, 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 re- it's really interesting to hear this this kind of mix between promoting the brand and, and promoting the, the stores that sell. It's, it's quite a common goal, I guess. A lot, a lot of the, the people that, that inquire through us are often, if they're an e-commerce business, they might sell a lot on Amazon, but they realize that they're giving a cut away to Amazon and, and they don't get the, the customer's details or whatever. And I guess it's probably a similar thing to you. Yes, there's a revenue advantage to having that person buy through you, but there's also a relationship advantage because then you get their contact details, you can follow up with them and they can become part of the Salias family and then you can whatever, you can direct them to <laughs> ASOS or whoever um, when you get a new stockist. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely been a bit of balance for us. And it continues to be a you know, balance of, of how we divide, divert, you know, choose to push people to different retailers or, or, you know, or direct to our own channels. I mean, now where the businesses was, you know, I think we're big enough in those particular retailers that the retailers will do their own advertising. And we, you know, we're trying to kind of ensure that we're winning new customers now, I think is that that's certainly our focus in, in certainly in the UK and the US is ensuring we, you know, grow the scope and, and you know, bring new people to the brand. And it certainly looks like it's working. SEMrush estimates 10,000 branded search searches per month in the UK for Salias, which is, you know, really healthy number and, and testament to, to the brand building stuff that, that you've been doing so far, I guess. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that's that's lovely. And I didn't know that mention, that was very helpful. So I think what we, you know, when you first, when we first started, you wonder what drives the traffic to you. And certainly at that point, there was a lot of people searching for more generic terms and would get a lot of traffic through generic terms like gold glitter sandals, you know, et cetera. Whereas now, you know, we know that a lot of our traffic is coming just on direct name search. I want to ask you about your plans to move over to the US and the marketing channels that you're going to be using. From what I've seen, it looks like at the moment you've been doing some Google AdWords and possibly some influence and blogger outreach. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, maybe you could just talk us through what, what exactly you've been doing with the with the bloggers and how you see that changing and evolving as you go over to the US. Yeah, absolutely. So, what, what, yeah, we do have a good relationship with various bloggers in the UK, and, and you know, we'll continue to do that. And the you know the the, the platforms that we use in the UK will be the same as the US in terms of being Google AdWords, you know, as well as Instagram and Facebook, <laughs> all for quite different things. I think, as certainly as we go to the US, we will use those platforms. Differently, you know, I, I know that criticism of the business has been that we use the platforms 
to similarly, you know, in that we put, you know, we actually want to, to split the content and make them very different across the different platforms. But in the, in the US, our focus is going to be quite local. So I think, you know, we don't plan on trying to, to spend all of the money we're raising on, you know, a few really big name bloggers. We see it kind of more like how we, you know, we grew the UK business, which was getting some very specific areas in the US, quite local influencers and building up from the ground. You know, again, the same ways we did here with gifting and seeding products, but definitely on a, a, a specific local level. It's quite interesting. It's, and and I think it's, it's such a good idea because quite often the really high level influencers have such an inflated sense of their authority with their <laughs> audience, whereas yeah. they might have, you know, they might have a million followers, but actually the number of those that would be influenced to make a purchase would be really, really small. Whereas someone who's, uh, as you say, local or, or has that kind of hyper influence amongst a small audience could be much, much more profitable and will do stuff in return for some free product or where it may be a very small fee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's certainly what worked for us in the UK. You know, I think I'm, I'm sure that you build a better brand profile, you know, going for a, you know, a, a you know, super big net influencer. But for us, certainly as we start, it's much more about sales. You know, so our, our, you know, we do, we do certainly look at and measure, you know, brand recognition. But for us, the brand recognition comes through retailers and, and they will be more important at driving that than we ever could be at direct, you know, in direct marketing. So I think our focus for those is, is sales, 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 and everything that we do will be measured on, you know, how many sales did that particular person drive? But that would really be the only metric we'll look at. Yeah, it's, it's super refreshing to hear such a kind of savvy and don't want to say tight fisted, but you're, you're making everything work hard, aren't you? This isn't like scattergun. Oh yeah, sweet. We got a thousand impressions or whatever. This is sales. So that's, that's fantastic. I know that one of the things that you've done, you've, you've mentioned already is advertising in fashion magazines. Have you been featured in these? Have you done PR outreach to get featured in these as well? And is this something that you're going to be continuing as you go to the US? Yeah, uh, yeah, a bit of all of it. So we started doing, you know, quite small scale advertising. Then as we grew up, we did a you know, s- you know slightly larger scale advertising with them. We actually got, you know, a lots of, we had a, we had a great PR firm, sort of a great PR firm in the UK, who have done a great job in having the brand nicely positioned. For us, this is a, a kind of became a, a circular loop where those retailers became even more important because for, for our PR agency, they found it a lot easier to push products that were in retailers. And certainly the likes of certainly the, the Grazias and the, the you know, Glamours and Ls are much more willing to feature a shoe that's stocked in Selfridges or Liberty than they are from stopping someone's random website. Much as they, everyone loves to find a unique and distinctive product, it's much more helpful for them until it's got that credibility being in a mainstream retailer. And, and the downside is that spending a lot of money on PR and then almost invariably the magazine will tend to quote the retailer rather than the brand. Uh, we either quote the brand, but they'll then say, you know, available in Selfridges, et cetera, which is, which is fine. It helps drive sales. And that certainly helped drive brand recognition. And we will be doing the same thing in the US. Focused, again, probably smaller scale magazines. I don't, you know, I certainly don't envisage us trying to get in Vanity Fair. But, you know, I do, you know, want to still have quite a traditional approach to print features as well as technical digital marketing. I'm curious to how you how you balance the what can often be quite um, I don't know how to say it with something like PR and visibility in magazines. It's much less 
easy to track the the specific sales result. With the bloggers, you're holding them to quite a quite a strict, you know, who's who's generating me the most sales, which is you know completely understand. How do you balance that in your head between focusing really tightly on the bloggers and then with the magazines? Like, how do you justify it? <laughs> for some products, for us, it's it's nearly impossible to measure where we get core product features. It, it is just impossible. But quite often, where we've had quite an unusual. I mean, we we carry way too many styles, but you know, even even between three or four classic looking silhouettes, we'll have about 80 different color options. Where they feature one of the more unusual ones is where we then can start to drill in. And that, that so whilst I don't have as many reference points in the, in, throughout the year, where I do get those occasional reference points, they're often quite helpful because it'll be quite, sometimes they'll feature unusual style. And there is definitely a, you know, more of a, a, a direct uplift in sales from them. Certainly some magazines react better than others. But the other thing that's also useful from a magazine perspective is Again, hard to measure, but uh, other than anecdotally, but at trade shows and internationally, I've had people come up to me and say, "Saw your shoes in Grazia, or we saw your shoes in this this other magazine," you know, which is great, you know. And then they then want to stock your shoes in their store in Japan, so that you know is very helpful. But again, makes it even harder to measure because you know how, how do you measure the the value of that? And that unfortunately just has to be me being very cynical, very old fashioned, and having a subscription to every single magazine, which I do tragically. I'm featuring and sit and read them and try and get a feel for how our exposure is coming across. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, Johnny spends his days reading ladies' magazines. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see the brand going? Say, let's let's say that we do another episode in, in two years' time. Where do you hope Salias is at? So I, I kind of hope that we're doing this call transatlantically at that point. The US absolutely is my main focus. The UK is is our heart, is our home, is the centre of the brand, and will continue to be. But what I don't want to do equally is try and overexpose the brand and try and push it into retailers that it doesn't quite fit in, just so it gets to be mainstream and then it gets too big and then pops. And I want to keep it working at a nice, still a cool level. So there'll be some level of limit in supply that you know, we won't want to have it available in every high street store. Whereas I, you know, the US is obviously an incredibly big place. I don't envisage in two years, I'll even have got out of one state in terms of my focus. But the place I'd really want to be is to have a retailer push in the US. So kind of by that, I mean, I've always tried to build the brand as having a retailer base that pushes the product and, you know, customers that pull it rather than a brand pushing stock to people. You know, I kind of want it to be, you know, it being an attractive, nice lifestyle that, that customers want to buy into and a product that retailers want to sell. So I've hopefully... In a couple of years, got that balance in the US where we've got a no, not not earth shattering, but you know, a good strong following in the US that are pushing the retailers to bring out new products. And I guess a, a brand loyalty, whether they buy from you or whether they buy from the retailer, which brings people into your own social channels and kind of gives you a- access to them. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you know, in the US is certainly even more protective over those. Each retailer is more protective over their customers than than the people in the UK are. But even at that, the US certainly, my, my general fear on the limited interaction and various contacts I have view is that, you know, the US customer is probably a bit more brand loyal. So I think as a result of that, we probably will be investing, we will be investing more in gaining their loyalty. Not that the UK customer isn't loyal, but our biggest competition in the UK is own brand copies really have that same dynamic quite yet. It doesn't have Topshop, it does have Topshop, but nothing like on the same scale. Topshop, River Island, H&M, et cetera, Zara. (laughs) 
it's got much more of a, you know, generally footwear is kind of branded at the high level and unbranded at the lower level. So where we see our competition is in different products from different brands. You know, I don't think they'll think, oh, I love that silhouette, so I'll buy it from another brand. I think they'll just think, I'll just go and buy that, you know, that coach shoe instead or that Javiana shoe. So it's an investment in, in gaining their loyalty for the, for the brand, which I think is better spent than it is in the UK. Because just because of the dynamic of the customer, really. I want to ask you about advice you'd give back to the younger Johnny. But before I do, you mentioned a few shoe brands that have become really synonymous with one particular style, yeah. whether it's Habaneras or Tom's Shoes or, or whatever. How important to your success do you think really focusing on one very, very specific type of product uh, has been? Would you have been able to do this if you were like... Uh, ladies night out shoe or something like that yeah no absolutely central to the the success of what we've got so far it's always been our focus to be that and i think that's what's you know enabled us to to get into these retailers i think we aren't designers much as the kind of guys behind toms and javianas and others equally were weren't designers either it's a passion for you know we have such a passion for a product and everything that sits around that product so you know the, the the lifestyle the factories the heritage of them, the communities built around those factories. It's such a, and, and I know, you know, we, we don't, or we try to spend money to, to convey it, but it's, you know, it's something we, we will continue to keep trying to get the message across. The story behind the, the way this particular shoe is made is, is, is fascinating and I'm in love with it. And that passion and that message is, is what the brand is. I, you know, we, we will never try and make this a, you know, a, 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 a complete brand that, that does every single different style of shoe. I was trying to think of an example there, but I can't think of one that's so Vince Camuto or Sam Edelman, Steve Madden, those sort of brands. I don't think we'd ever want to be one of those brands. I've lost those because it's not, that isn't what the brand is. They don't have the same lifestyle and the same story that, that, that we have. And that, you know, Birkenstock and Tom's and these other great brands also have. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I was recently listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I don't know if you've, if you've read that. The, the guy started Nike and it's, in some ways, they started out as a specific manufacturer of, of running shoes, and then they had some some particular technologies which they added. And I guess then they they broadened their their message and their appeal to be more about a a, a mindset rather than a specific particular product type. But even so, you look at you look at brands who are have become absolutely synonymous with one particular style, whether it's like a you know, Apple with an iPhone or, you know, cat boots or, 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 or whatever, and Ray-Ban Wayfarers. And they just have like one iconic product, which if you want that thing, you have to go to that company. I, just, I think that's, it's such a cool thing, isn't it? Particularly if that thing is, is like evergreen or has, a, has, has an amazing heritage. And I guess that's, that's what you've done already with the, with the heritage and kind of piggybacking on this, the, this particular style of shoe. Yeah. And I, and I did, and I'll, I'll answer your other question at the same time. What would you get? What would I go back and tell myself? Um, have more belief in that exact thing. So I think, you know, I, I did over the last few years work with lots of different ideas and think actually this, we, we, whilst we also love the Balearicness and, and do we make this uh, just a wide Balearic brand like Cause, you know, is for the kind of lifestyle. And, you know, we, we, we started lots of different products, which were great in their own right. So round, some round towels, sweatshirts, which were all in their own right, great products. But they were, they, and they were, you know, we used factories that also made things for Balmain and for, you know, other great brands, but we weren't any different to those brands. We were making products in the same factories as them and, and they were just, they were just good. What we make with that sandal is amazing. And the story behind it, 
and the fact that no one else is or doing that and can do that. And that, that's what Celeste is about, having this absolutely unique thing so that if you want that, you've got to come to us. You know, if you want a sweatshirt, there's lots of other people you can go to to get that great branded sweatshirt. So that's where, you know, that, and, and, and the advice I'd give to myself is to have more faith and probably not get sick of saying it. So I think we, certainly from digital marketing perspective, worried about trying to vary our message a lot because you're kind of, obviously you're reading every message yourself and you're seeing it and thinking, oh God, we're just saying the same thing. But actually you can't say the same thing too many times when you're that passionate about it and, it, and, it, and it's true. Yeah, we, we always say to people, just when you're starting to get bored of it, that's when it's starting to break through into your audience's consciousness. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish you'd told me that two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, this has been amazing. Uh, where can people find out more about you and of course the shoes? So absolutely. So our website is www.solilas.com. So S-O-L-I-L-L-A-S.com. Uh, we're crowdfunding on the Cedars platform. So if you go on there, you can also find lots of information about me and us and the story and what we're doing with our, with our digital marketing next. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you everyone for tuning in and talk to you next week. Bye.